Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I'm joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, pointing at himself, who's got two thumbs and is a, and is a co-host. That's Sir That's Lucian right. over there. That is That's me. Sir Lucian Gaming. <laughs> Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Hello, all of you in chat. Hope you're having a wonderful Saturday morning. Yeah, welcome. Uh, we got we got some interesting things to talk about. It's going to be kind of a fun show. Um, mm-hmm. If you're new here, we are a uh, D&D talk show, and we kind of just talk about Dungeons & Dragons, but it has evolved to a lot of different RPGs, because as we have been playing Dungeons & Dragons for the last 152 episodes, um, we there, there's just lots of other fun games out there, too. Uh, mm-hmm. And Lucian and I literally just sat here and talked for an hour about before the game started about a game other that's systems. not even a game yet, but <laughs> yeah. maybe a game soon. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's ridiculous. how much we like it. <laughs> we will talk about an incomplete system at this yes. point. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So the game is it's kind of like Back to the Future yeah. and Mad Max and what you do. No, uh, <laughs> although I would play that game in a heartbeat. Yeah, uh, you sold me. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> um, so. You, you, sir, have been playing yes. the video games, specifically the Baldur's Gate 3. Yes. Um, there and was an announcement. What's going on in the world of Baldur's yeah, Gate 3? Yeah, we finally got a Baldur's Gate 3 announcement. They announced the next class that will be available to us on release. And in the next big patch they do, you'll be able to play test it because we're in that play testing phase if you have Baldur's Gate 3 right now from Steam. And it is the Druid, which is actually pretty cool because it's a very shape-shifting character. That's fun. You have a lot of spell selection stuff. They showed off a lot of gameplay and how it can really change some of the things they're going to do. They're going to start opening up more of the story areas because you've been kind of confined at first. But we're starting to see more of that stuff. So it's really cool. It looks like it's going to be a really big, fun story so far. We still have more things to be announced later on. But I thought it was cool that we... We get the Druid. I think um, that's one that I enjoy. I'm thinking of, I mean, just because of, of ones that aren't out there yet, or maybe like you don't have Paladin quite yet. You don't have What classes Sorcerer. do they have? They've got Wizard, yeah, it's, it's Ranger. Wizard, Ranger, Fighter, Rogue. Cleric. Cleric, now Druid. I think it was five and then now Druid. I think what we were missing is like Warlock, Paladin. No, maybe Warlock is in there. I forget all. I, I forget already. <laughs> now, what I did when I played, I played it a, a, a ways into the storyline, but I didn't want to ruin the storyline quite yet. So I didn't play it a ton and keep playing it over and over and see all the different cutscenes, like a lot of people do with those big RPG games. Because like even with like things like Mass Effect or all those ones that have branching story arcs that uh-huh. you can go back and see different ones, people create full on YouTube channels to say. If you made this choice, this is what you would have oh, yeah, gotten. Yeah, yeah. And if you made this choice, this is what you would have gotten. Which is cool. I like to go to those later on after I played through the game and did my choices. But I don't want to ruin it yet. So I'm kind of, I try, I slow played it. I didn't get too far. I tried out some of the other classes, the way it worked. I liked the system. I like some things they're doing in it that's not done on tabletop, which is cool. And we've talked about this in other shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cool. It's great to see an update. They're still working on it. I'm still excited about where the story's going. And I think the shape-shifting, the thing that I liked about this was they were showing a, a moving through caverns area where they snuck in as um, like a weasel or something that ha- was very stealthy. But then they got to a point they couldn't continue. So then they shape-shifted into a bird and flew past, got to a whole nother area, even though they could see him and couldn't stealth anymore. But they got so far 
they couldn't be followed and then they could drop back into their druid form or their normal form and do hmm. some more stuff. So it was a really interesting tactical way of thinking about how to tackle certain things because you can have all these different shapes that are available to you, which yeah. is kind of cool. So no, that sounds, yeah, that sounds really fun. Uh, I, it's weird. Like, I guess I'm, I'm just not, uh, I haven't been playing video games, uh, in, you know, in this way in a while, but especially PC games, it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, it's like not done, but you can buy it and play it and stuff. And Everything's, so yeah. I would be really, I, I, I want it for the story. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. And like, I think I'm been holding back because you can't finish yeah. being a, the story. Yeah. I think that's uh, super valid. Nathan, thank you for becoming a member of the Saturday Morning D&D show. Um, Indigo Cam Chameleon says, love this overlay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's Jordan a nice overlay. did a great job on it. That's a photograph. <laughs> like we just kind of, or I, I laid down some stuff and it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's all real. Uh, <laughs> stretched out a little bit, but that's, yeah, whatever. Had to make it fit the uh, thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's what I was waiting, but talking, sorry, talking about branching paths, Neverwinter Nights, Jordan in college, yeah. definitely played a wizard up until I think about midway when you get to, uh, through that game, I ran into a druid grove and they were like, they wouldn't talk to me cause I wasn't a druid. And right. I literally saved the game started a druid and played all the way up to that point. Cause I'm like, I have to know what happens if you're a druid and you play in the druid thing. Like it's really cool. So, uh, yeah, that's like way fun. Yeah. So I, and like some people were saying in chat here too, like I'm the type of person that I want to wait till I can play the whole thing. I totally get that. I think most people should, I don't necessarily think everybody should try to pay for a game that's if it's not your built thing. yet. Yeah, but or, if it's not or, your thing, but if you're into it and, and you don't mind playing something that's buggy or, you know, early access and it doesn't have everything, I'm that person. I, I pay people to let me into their betas. I paid games to let me into their alphas because I'm just such a super fan that I just mm-hmm. want to be in and, and see things. Even if certain things are broken, I don't get mad at that. I'm just like, no, I won't. I don't care. I'll fix that later on. But hey, this is <laughs> cool. I'm playing this Death Knight, whatever, you know, or whatever, just to keep going. So. So it's very cool. You you can check that out out at their website. You can find some videos out there of them doing some playthrough game things. Mm-hmm. It felt a little bit like a D and D live show, the way they set it up because they had people in costumes. They set up a warehouse that had like a campfire around it, but it was kind of the hokey version like D and D live did with their the, the last one they did before COVID hit and everybody was able to get together, you know how it was very studio looking and very kind of weird. So it was a little cringy for me on that aspect. I felt like they could have just, they didn't have to role play out their characters or something, but they were having fun with it. They wanted to do something different, I guess. Um, So you can go out there and see those, but it was cool to see it. And for those of you that are RPG top down isometric fans and you're a D and D fan, this is it. This is the best so far rendition I've ever seen of somebody putting D&D on, you know, that isometric tabletop. It looks really good. It's true to the 5e rules. It adjusts some ones that make it easier to gameplay versus if you're at your table. Um, I'm really liking it. I think those people that like Divinity, like the other one that everybody holds up in the last few years as being the great game is um Divinity, Divinity Original Sin, Sin 2. Yeah. Divinity Original Sin 2. Everybody will say that every the moment you bring this up. I think this is going to be better than that. It already feels better than that one. I love so, the isometric the RPGs. Company. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they hired them because of what they did yeah. with Divinity. Um, but, oh, yeah, Pathfinder Kingmaker. That's another that's that's the other one, one that we're talking about. Um, oh. I really want to play Disco Elysium. And that's not I've seen it. fantasy. Uh, no. It's like a it's like a, a mystery kind of. Ah, but it but people were saying it's amazing, and I was like, yeah. that's really cool. I want to like check it out. The Be artwork awesome. really pulls you in. There's a crazy story that I like isometric RPGs about. though, so that's yeah. fun. But I'm cool. still playing that Caves of Cud game, right? And Old it's school. really addicting. Very addicting, <laughs> and I die so much. But every every time I play, I get a little bit further. And I find yeah. more weird things, yeah. and it's just been a really fun game to play. Do you think that would so. play on an iPad? I mean, if I could I load that onto my iPad or whatever, Probably. you know how cool that'd be sitting on my couch playing Caves of Cud? I don't know. Because you don't really need a, a – you have a keyboard on there that will pop up when you need it. It's not uh, yeah, crazy but you don't need a keyboard. Any means. And they're, they're <laughs> trying to get um, – so right now it's, it's uh, retroly kind of played with a keyboard because it's – it's making, it's an homage to the old uh, multi-user dungeons of old kind of a thing, mm-hmm. or the muds or whatever. The muds, so, yeah. uh, but they're trying to do. They're realizing that not everybody likes that. Like I keep gesturing to my keyboard down here, but like not everybody mm-hmm. likes that. So they want to do um, more uh, uh, updated controls. Like mm-hmm. maybe you point your mouse where you want to go and click, and then you walk there, kind of a thing. Um, so. With that, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to do some kind of like iPad yeah. controls. Like, because you could even just move your iPad over one, <laughs> up one, down one, over one. <laughs> of course, you could. you could do some cool stuff with it. So, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very awesome. But so those are like some of the computer game stuff we're playing. Um, but there must be some type of tabletop news we could talk about. Uh, yeah, I believe. I believe there, there's so. a book coming, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, Candlekeep. <laughs> Um, we got, uh, we got some candle keep, uh, that's coming out, um, March 16th. So that is soon. Um, and it's going to have less than a month, yeah. 15, 16 adventures in it, um, from levels one to <clears throat> 16, I think. So, uh, Amy Vorpal's looks really exciting to me. Um, a couple other people have messaged me and said that they're very excited about theirs that they wrote. Um, and I don't know anything about it yet. Uh, or I don't, I haven't read any of the adventures or anything. Uh, I'm not that in the know, but, uh, it looks fun. It's going to be, it's going to be really awesome. Um, have you, have you reserved it? Have you picked it up? Mm -hmm. Are you This one, if I get it, will be a collection one just to have, to keep the series going. I'm not feeling like I would run these, but that could always change because like when I've read a few of these other books, once I've read through them. I changed my mind. Um, Salt Marsh was a very good example of that. Yeah. Salt Marsh sounded cool because I knew it had some water aquatic kind of stuff in there. And I wanted it for, you know, maybe it has some cool rules I could use if I ever do some aquatic portion in my uh-huh. campaign. I didn't think I was going to get drawn into the other parts of the book and the stuff that was going on. Mm-hmm. But you start reading that first page and you start reading the setup of what's going on. And you're like, this adventure is about this and this. And then all of a sudden you start getting sucked into it. That's such a fantastic book to read. It pulled me right in and I didn't know it was going to. Yeah. Um, so this could be something like that. I don't feel like I need any mystery things to, to click into any of the campaigns that I want to run at the moment. Um, a mystery one is always hard for me because it's such a combat oriented game 
that to then just do a full-on mystery where there's not really, maybe there's not much combat, maybe there is, but maybe there's not. It feels like we don't have as many tools to do that thing as we do to throw fireballs and swing swords and shoot arrows, right? You know, it's, um, so I don't know, mysteries are a little, but I could read it and I could totally turn around and say, no, I'm stupid. I should put all these things in my things. My players will love these things. And, you know, well, you know, and, uh, I, I liked tales from the yawning portal. Um, and we talk about this a lot where you have, and, and actually a lot of us who are DMs, we have a huge assortment of, uh, characters that we would like to play that we probably never get to. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Candlekeep is another thing like Tales of the Yawning Portal where it's kind of fun just to be like, hey, do you guys want to play D&D for three weeks? Like three sessions. We're going to go through White Plume Mountain. It's going to be a lot yeah. of fun. Make a level seven character. Let's go have fun. And that's the that's what I like about this. And I and a lot of people are like, oh, you should write your own, things like that. And I, I get that. Uh, it is very fun and creatively very interesting to write your own thing. But at the same point, I love pre-written adventures. I just think they're fun. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of really cool writers. These, I mean, not having read them, they might be hit or miss. Who knows? Yeah. But I think yeah. that they're going to be pretty good. I like Chris Perkins' behind-the-scenes architect stuff, so mm-hmm. I think it'll be fun. But And I like the idea that we'll be able to look at something that's about creating mis- mystery adventures. That's something, as DMs, all of us out there, we don't get a lot of those. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of people going to the DMs Guild or wherever you get all your third-party modules that build action-adventure big typical dungeon divey, you know, all these types of things. We don't get a ton of mystery modules or we don't get a ton of certain types. So when they're going to do a whole book around it to give us an idea of what, what can be done or another way to do something, I'll be able to take from that and say, Oh, I didn't realize I could do that. Now that helps me expand things I might think of later on. So I'm, I'm interested to see how an adventure, a mystery set of adventures, 15 of them are different than if they had created a book of 15 dungeon delving adventures. If well, they a that's, book of 15 that's Dungeon of the Mad Mage, in all honesty. Yeah. And like right. you could pick <laughs> any level of Dungeon of the Mad Mage and be like, I'm running just this level. Yeah. But for some reason, this feels more like you're allowed to do that. Like if I don't yeah. want to play adventures one through five, I don't have to, you know? Yeah, so. just piece me on the things. Yeah. So yeah, I'll be interested to see it. I hope the artwork is great. I don't know from a player standpoint, do you need to run out and grab this book? I have not heard about anything in this book that oh, gives no. you it's just more player adventures. options. It's, it's a DM. It feels thing. like a DM yeah. book. So, I mean, there's a cool poster of Candlekeep, I guess. But but yeah. if you collect or you like the art, that might be one reason you grab it. But other than that, it feels like it's a very DM book mm-hmm. for this for this first 2021 book of Wizards of the Coast putting out. And then I assume that'll launch. We'll probably get a week of people playing it online. Um, maybe them talking about a little bit more of it, although they can't really talk too much about it because it's all mystery stuff. So you don't want to spoil nothing. Um, and then we'll get our next uh, announcement mm-hmm. or book number two of whatever they're going to put out. Yeah, I think um, it's so going to be, be uh, well, we've been talking about campaign settings, but we don't need to theorize this whole time. Yeah, yeah. We've done but I do, I do, <laughs> I do feel, uh, yeah, and I've been. Been brushing up on my Dragonlance just in case, oh, and I'm gonna try and make some Dragonlance hype. videos here in a little bit because <laughs> that is a setting I know zero about. Yeah, uh, which is funny because like I know more about Dark Sun than I do about that, and I feel like Greyhawk and I should have started with Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms, and Dragonlance, there but instead go. I'm like, let's talk about Spelljammer and Dark Sun <laughs> and all the weird ones that I like. So. 
but that'll be fun. Campaigns. Um, yeah, new series of how-to videos. Not. I did notice that. Um, we saw a couple. I want to say a few months ago, one came out about why do you want to play Dungeons and Dragons. It was done by Madeline uh, at Not the Vampire. I'm pretty sure I've seen her in the community in different places. Um, and, you know, cool that you get your video up on the main D&D YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. And then it kind of went when there was, you know, a bunch of other content happened. And then just this last week, three more went up about creating a character or how the game is played and all this other stuff. So they're they're targeted for people who've never played Dungeons and Dragons, obviously, or even probably a role playing game at all. Maybe not something for our community here. Most of our community are all veterans within playing tabletop role-playing games mm-hmm. at this point. So I don't think they're necessarily targeted for us. I didn't know if you happened to catch them or see any. Um, I did see them in my feed, but I didn't watch them because I'm like, I I, I know yeah. how, I don't need to be sold on D&D. So yeah, yeah. That's, I'm that's not it. necessarily the audience, but I might go through them to see if there's something I'd want to send to somebody who's never played. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm, because I'm always trying to bring people in who've never played because I just love yeah. the excitement of seeing them get that same excitement if they do. <laughs> if I could present it to them in such a way that they're like, no, you're right. This is really cool. <laughs> uh, That's a victory. Yeah. Speaking of older adventures, uh, I, I like Goodman games. Uh, Shozama mm-hmm. asked in chat if we were going to pick up any of the Goodman games, original adventures reincarnated. Now these are older mm-hmm. adventures and I, I got one for my birthday called expedition to the barrier peaks. Yes. Where it's the original adventure in a hardbound book with uh, the 5e update to it, mm-hmm. um, and I know that they're and and those are fifty bucks, so they're not they're yeah. not cheap, but it's kind of a collector's thing if you think about it, because yeah. you get these fun classic adventures. Um, Shozama specifically, I am waiting for the hundred dollar Temple of Elemental Evil that Goodman Games is. I making. will buy that. Um, and so I don't have a huge, like Castle Amber is the latest one to come out and that could be a lot of fun. But, uh, for some reason, I mean, Temple of Elemental Evil is just so iconic and they're going to make a big box set thing for it. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. There, there was an adventure out there, Dragon on the Mount that almost took my top spot of my favorite (laughs) gaming module ever, but it didn't quite make it. Check that out on DMs Guild if you want to check out Dragon on the Mount. (laughs) <laughs> Temple of Elemental Evil is my hands down favorite. All of its flaws, all of its glory, everything about it. I love it. It's the greatest module ever in in my brain and opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a lot of fun. Um yeah. so So I, I will buy that. I don't I don't know, but I it would be fun to run those two just to like because I'm a big I'm a big advocate of like the history of D D. And mm-hmm. I like that you could it's kind of it's kind of like uh, I'm trying to think of another fandom that's like this, but like uh, I get into um, I don't know, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and so right. all of a sudden you're just like, hey, what's this Buffy thing? And then you you watch all the seasons, and then you you have this backlog to kind of experience, and then mm-hmm. you get into the comics, and then you do all this other stuff, and then you go to a Buffy gate a convention, and people. Uh, treat like you're just like oh yeah yeah and you guys have yeah, something in common you're like you. let's yeah. talk about the musical episode let's talk about this mm-hmm. i want D to have that but like you mm-hmm. sit around a table and they're just like man when i ran my par- players through expedition to the barrier peaks and they're like oh don't even get me started and yeah. we all have this collective 
expedition to the barrier peaks or temple of the elemental evil thing to talk about. And that's why I, I wanted to run things like white plume mountain from tales of the yawning portal, because I think it's part of me thinks it's important for the community for us to have a collective experience as opposed to, well, those are the forgotten realms players. Those are the homebrew players over there. That's the, uh, that's the critical role players, the wild mount players. We don't really like talk back and forth kind of a thing. Um, because I'll be honest, I don't know as much about Critical Role, but like we're all still playing D anD D, you know. It's kind of yeah. it's interesting. But so I, I like those and and having a a small three to four session module allows mm-hmm. us to do that because like a lot mm-hmm. of people don't have a ton of time for year long campaigns like Tomb of Annihilation, but we can all remember where we were when we fought yeah. the giant crab in Tomb of Annihilation or yeah, yeah. in a uh, White Blue Mountain something. So yeah, and I'm gonna ha- that's the cool thing. I'm gonna have that right. I I finally did a Tomb of Annihilation. I'm gonna do a Dungeon of the Mad Mage. So there's gonna be a group of people out there that yeah. I'll connect to immediately when that comes up in the conversation. It's like oh yeah, we we did Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Now we're about to do this. It's like you guys did that one too. What happened when you did this? Yeah. What did you do when yeah. you did this? It's like Tomb of Annihilation is such a good one too. And our DM ran it great. And I got to run it from two different DMs. So I got to see a couple of parts from it. And it was cool. And I can talk to the other people that got to run it and how mm-hmm. they did things. And I think that's a cool connection point that yeah. brings complete strangers together. Oh, yeah. In such a cool way, an exciting way, and a happy way. You no, know, like, Gen oh, Con was so great cool. for that because people would walk up to me and they're like, man, and then this happened in the realms. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I know. And like, we just had that. I'm like, I don't know you. I don't even know your first name, but like, I know your character's yeah. name now. Yeah. And like, he's really cool paladin. <laughs> about how you fought an undead, you know, the dragon or you yeah. fought how you so fun. went after a, a beholder or something. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So that's, um, I think that's cool. I think those videos that are out, there wasn't much else on their channel. Um, even though it wasn't targeted at us, maybe you can point it to people that you know that haven't ever played before. And maybe yeah. those videos could be their way in. Um, the only other thing I saw, um, well, I want to talk about roll 20 here. Yeah. So yeah, this is right. kind of interesting. Um, and I'll put the link in chat. Victor, uh, sent us this. So thank you, Victor. Always. He's, you're very good. You're very good at. He says at, uh, this a lot of cool stuff. You do, right? and 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 so you're, you're single handedly keeping the show alive, Victor. So good job. Thank you for <laughs> it's giving like our us research stuff to talk department. About. <laughs> um, whether it's in the Discord or on Twitter, he's always sending us cool stuff. So uh, yeah. every year, um, or every quarter, maybe is what it is. I think. Yeah, this is a uh, fourth quarter report of 2020. Uh, mm-hmm. Roll twenty kind of releases these. Here's what is going on in roll twenty. Um, and so I'll put this in our in our chat here. Um, and uh, they did campaign percentage. So 52 or almost 53% of all of the campaigns on Roll20 are D&D 5e. But like this is what surprised me is uh, 10% is Call of Cthulhu. Big group out there that I've not got to play yeah, with. Yeah, 3.5% is Pathfinder. Yeah. And then 2% or 1.5% is Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Mm-hmm. So it's doing lower than regular Pathfinder. Um, mm-hmm. All the way down to 1% is D&D 3.5. So some people really enjoying that. Um, and then 0.6% Starfinder. I was like, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you go to the account percentage, like how many people have built accounts to be in a specific game, and it's very similar. 60% is D&D 5e, uh, 7 or 6.5% is Call of Cthulhu. Again, Pathfinder and then Pathfinder 2nd Edition with very low percentages. D&D mm-hmm. 3.5, 1%, and Starfinder 0.6%. So 
uh, kind of interesting, like with the amount of people that are that are stuff. But then the very bottom systems with the biggest campaign growth. So yeah. these were the people that were like, we're starting new stuff and growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And obviously Cyberpunk Red, I think that came out in 2020. So that kind of makes sense. That's a new um, one. It's fun. It's a fun book to read. I got to read it while we were at Gen Con, flip through the pages. Mm-hmm. That wasn't for sale yet, but it was about to be. And they had books there and it looked good. Um, and then Star Wars rose 18%. I don't, what's the year zero engine? I wasn't, I didn't know about that one. Um, yeah, I've not seen. So some of these, I was like, these. Year Zero Engine had a thirty nine percent growth in oh, you quarter know, four. Mutant Year Zero is um, from Modifius. I think. Oh, okay. I think Modifius, well, Modifius has a set of two D two D twenty game systems that they run. Okay, very cool. So this is it's fun. It's fun. It's kind of fun to yeah. see. Um, I I like it. Uh, yeah, definitely. Call of Cthulhu was up there a lot more than I thought, and I was wondering maybe if that was because of. Mm-hmm. Acquisitions Incorporated did it, or maybe is, there's not a new version of Call of Cthulhu. I think they're still on their like seventh printing mm-hmm. or something. I'm not sure, but I think it's just got a nice big, quiet community out there. It does, of yeah. Players, a big giant community, bigger than I think even like a a Pathfinder. The only one thing I was wondering about this is it'd be interesting to know what the fantasy ground statistics were. Because yeah. I almost feel like the Pathfinder community They're probably on, loves yeah. Fantasy Ground more. I, so I, I agree. I wonder yeah. if that's a if that's even a, a significant difference or not. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's exactly the same. Yeah. But I and feel this shouldn't like, be. We shouldn't think like, oh, there's not a lot of people playing Pathfinder by these numbers. No, yeah, They're yeah, just yeah. not a lot of people in quarter four playing Pathfinder on, on roll, roll twenty. 20. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. Uh, I bet a lot of people are playing on there. But I know there's a big group that love that other virtual tabletop than roll twenty. I'm a roll twenty super fan. I love it. So. And I think the thing that makes or breaks a good roll twenty candidate is how good the character sheet works when you use it. And how good the dice roller works with all the rules in the game. <clears throat> and I'm thinking the like the Starfinder Character sheet is not great on roll 20. Yeah. And if that's true, then you're going to get 0.66% people mm. <laughs> using roll 20 to do Starfinder stuff. One so of I my think... patrons played a, a Starfinder game and he was raving about it. And I, it's yeah. one of those that I'm like, I still haven't tried, still haven't tried the Pathfinder Starfinders. Yet. Yeah. I've gotten at exactly one session in before the, the campaign kind of oh, started right. out, but <laughs> I got, I got a session in. I would still like, I want to play with a dungeon master who is a fanatic about the game. Yeah. Who's a cheerleader for the game. Not that's not anything saying like, anything about. Yeah. Not I, saying yeah. anything about the person that did run it for me because it was new to them and we were all trying to figure it out. And I think we got stuck on not understanding certain things and not really having a place to turn to, to figure out anything. But I know if you got to play with that person who knows it inside and out and that person who loves it, that's just going to make that experience really, really, really mm. good. No, I've said that about like Call of Cthulhu and everything, you know. Yeah. And we'll get to this later, but uh, yeah, Nathan and Chat, who's my dungeon master, he's going to run us through a Vason game tonight, and so he's really excited for it, which makes me super excited for it because, like, yeah. I as if you're into it, like, I want to, I want to see this yeah. world through your excited eyes, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. that sounds show really me this fun. world. I want to yeah. show me your excitement. Show me what you love about this thing. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. So uh, very yeah. cool. And I like statistics like this. I think, yeah, it's kind of it's fun cool to see how the hobby is evolving. Yeah, Arcadia Two came out. That is the MCDM mm. Matt Coville uh, 
magazine. Zine? Magazine? Zine? I don't know. Yeah, uh, very professionally done. They're hiring really cool writers. They're doing awesome stuff. Uh, has some season-themed subclasses. Uh, I have been swamped, and I just didn't... This was right over my radar, uh, so mm-hmm. I didn't realize that it came out. Um, and I actually haven't watched the last Matt Coville video, <laughs> but uh, I... So I don't know anything about it other than um, I caught Nerd Immersion did a little review and he talked about the Spring Bard and said it was really fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's fun. It seems like we're getting a few subclasses, some monsters, and an adventure, and that's probably going to be the basis for at least the first three magazines. So, our keeper LB Hackamup has arrived. So, oh, hello, LB. We'll be talking about you. Woke up in time for the show today. That's awesome. The show. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be critiquing her performance later. Stay tuned. No, just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Matt's been putting out a bunch of videos. I think he's super excited about his Kickstarter that he's doing. But even more excited, he's excited about the sign that he's kind of putting out. This this throwback to doing a Dragon magazine or a Dungeon magazine. He's got a great team that's working with him. You can see the excitement in him again too about doing some of this stuff. And um, as a Patreon, if you're a Patreon, when it comes out, you get it for free. If you want to go back and buy any back issues, I think they're like seven bucks to yeah. pay for all the people that are working on this and the artwork that's going into it. Um, I think you can, he said there's going to be a discount if you're going to buy more of them at once, go to their store. Um, and they've been putting out videos. They'll do Q and A's about it, which are cool to listen to his little three minute video explaining, Hey, it's out. These are some of the things that are in there. If you just want to get an idea of what's going on in there, that's in there Four season themes, subclasses. The one he, he mentions in his video is a hibernation wizard. So it's a winter themed wizard. And then he says something about an autumn-themed warlock, I think, which sounded kind of cool. Nice. And you just talked about a spring bard, so all of that sounds cool to me. Elementals that which um, that I would love to play those in a Feywild theme because in, yeah. in my Feywild there are sections that are like this is perpetually winter and this is perpetually autumn, and you have like Fey lords that govern those. And so if you yeah. are like, well, no, I'm the autumn warlock, it's like, oh, that's cool. So. Yeah. Well, or imagine that's how their kingdoms are set up. It's like it's just divided by the four, right? Yeah. And they're constantly battling each oh, other. This oh, is this great. is this is exactly what I want in the Feywild. Yeah, so good. That's, that's really so. There are plenty of videos to watch. I'm a huge Matt Coville fan. He also did a. He always does videos for Dungeon Masters and Game Masters alike. Um, and he just did one recently about how to engage your players, which I thought was a great discussion about getting your players' engagement in a game when they're not they're being a little too passive. You know, how do you get them engaged? How do you get them making decisions and doing things? And I thought that was a great, a great talk. Um, so definitely check those out over on the Matt Coville channel, which we love. Mm-hmm. Um, I threw in there that BlizzCon is live because that's role-playing stuff. There's, you know, uh, I am a big Diablo player, so I've been playing a lot of Diablo, and I want to know all the Diablo 4 stuff. Um, I know there's lots of World of Warcraft players out there that are probably interested in some of the World of Warcraft things that are going on. I've often, there's even, war, you know, there's tabletop games based on those worlds too. Mm-hmm. Or modules. I've, I've converted a third edition, or it might have been a second edition, Diablo module that was made by uh, Bruce. It was 3.5, the Diablo yeah. era. Yeah. And then I put it in my game because I wanted to try it out. It was tough to try to make it work, but it was interesting that they took like a Diablo module that you could put in a, in a Dungeons & Dragons game. 
Um, so that was interesting. So oh, cool. Dia- uh, Critical cool. Role's playing a one-shot for BlizzCon, a Diablo one-shot. That's, that's right. Cool. They're doing a Diablo game, right? Yeah, I was going to tune into that one. They did one for Doom a while back, too, where they created a, a tabletop game for the Doom release. Oh, man. Doom you know, that I, was kind of cool. I mean, I, 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 Diablo's fun. Warcraft's cool. Mm-hmm. I am all about StarCraft, and I there, love you StarCraft. You had a StarCraft TRP, I, I read the novels as a kid. I'm just like, <laughs> I was all, and if there was a StarCraft RPG where I could be a Hydralisk running around, getting mutations, oh, you're all over That's it. what I want to do. Maybe that's the game I should make. There you go. <laughs> Put it on the list. You don't have to make just one, Jordan. You can make them all. Oh, you got so plenty cool. of time. Actually, that would work with, we were talking about modules, that I could just replace all of them with, like, mutations that you could take. And so yeah. you start as a little Zergling, and then you evolve up. That would be fun. Yeah, all the different fun. units you could do. That could be They'd cool. Become a hive mind. Oh, so, and you never know. Maybe we'll get a, uh, uh, a new game announcement. Maybe they've got a new IP that they're going to bring out. You yeah, never you know, know when something new is coming down the line. So I think they're on their 30th anniversary. So I wonder if they'll do anything big. Like, we keep thinking, is it this year the 50th for D&D? Uh, not so this year, but they, it's in the next two or three years. I think it's 1974 yeah. or 72. Yeah, so yeah. we're waiting for that big anniversary to happen. But that's going to be a 50th anniversary. Really that's yeah. Yeah. So. so that'd be kind of cool. So those are the things that I saw news-wise out there as far as videos and things. I was going to check Kickstarter. I probably should have, but I didn't see anything starting mid-month. Usually they start at the beginning of the month, and so you see a lot more of those things advertised as the month starts. Um and I'm waiting on a bunch of really good games to come in that I have kickstarted, um, and I'll show you those as they come in. I know Jordan's probably done a bunch of kickstarters too that he's got out there waiting for stuff to come in. <laughs> yeah, that. And I bought uh, uh, I bought a Star Trek Adventures RPG book, and I got the PDF. Modifius. But uh, they're like, hey, uh, we're having like major uh, COVID and Problems still, restrictions yeah. and stuff, and it's been like over a month, and I'm like, I want my book. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time. Uh, but yeah, no. A lot of Chinese of printers were still having trouble getting I just got over. Empire of the East from Goodman Games. I backed that. Ooh. And that came, that, I should have brought that up, but yeah, that came over Have there. you read through it yet? Uh, yeah, because the PDF I got like a month, two months ago or something, so I read through the PDF and and it's fun if you want to play in that world, which is Empire of the East, which is a uh, um, kind of an interesting one where it's an old 1950s or 60s uh, sci-fi fantasy novel, um, very much like Cold War um, mm-hmm. idea. And the idea is that America was building a artificial intelligence and Russia was building an artificial intelligence. And these two artificial intelligences were designed to fight each other. And they did that by being able to manipulate uh, particle physics. So they, like, rearranged matter. And in doing that, they unleashed demons onto the world. So it's this sci-fi world, but you can cast spells, and there's, like, flying demon in the sky. Uh, It looks like it fits perfectly for uh, (laughs) Dungeon Crawl Classics. Uh, But, yeah, I don't... I'm one of those where I'm like, I'm not sure I would run this, but I like supporting Goodman Games, and I find that I am now collecting DCC books. Uh, But it it looked really fun. I'm really waiting for the Dying Earth one that they have coming up. That's going to be good. And I do want to run a Dying Earth game with that system. The one I really keep waiting... Monty Cook should be sending, I'm hoping soon, the Tolis book that he's doing for 5 I'm I've been dying to get my hands on this one so because it's going to be a mega book. I'm just going to sit back and read it for I don't even know how long it'll take. <laughs> it's going to be so good. 
Uh, so very, I think that fun. was the news. That brings us to our next segment, yeah, which I'm not in even 2020 and before that was our Bardic Inspiration. But now, 2021, we're doing College of Monsters, yeah. which I've been so, enjoying. I'm going to transition here. All right. We're going to go to my random number generator. <laughs> one of these days we'll get the same one. We had some good ones so far. And we go, I always forget, we go from... 12 to 316. 12 to 316. Because one day I just left it 1 to 10 and they were 316. Like, um, okay. And so, college... So get your monster manuals out. Jordan will call out the number. It'll be up on the screen if you're watching the YouTube. Yeah. If I can get I'll it type it in me. over here in, uh, in mine. Oh, there we go. Okay, so let's uh, transition and generate 117. So I also need to go to D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but we'll leave it up here on 117. Where did I put my monster manual? Let's you went and got it. I watched you. <laughs> let's check it out. Uh, this could be a good one. So the idea of this segment is about thinking about the creature, uh, yes. typical monster manual, and to talk about it as you know most people think of it, but also what are the ways we can use this outside of the box? What's some interesting yeah. ways we can do something different? How would, how would you incorporate this into your adventure yeah. or build an adventure around this? Today's monster is a silver dragon. Dragons. So Gotta this dragon. uh, is not specific, but uh, I guess, well, I guess 117 is the adult silver dragon. Right. So if I go over here and I search. So we're talking one of the silver. metallics. Yeah. We're talking one so of the, what's the difference between a metallic and a chromatic dragon? Yeah. Lucian. Alignment. Alignment. <laughs> it's supposed to be a light, good and evil, right? It's the good and evil versions of the dragons. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, usually, hang on, I gotta switch this up. And I know that because I went over to a Forgotten Realms go. YouTube page and yeah. they had some. some so there's our stuff. adult silver dragon. Um, they have a paralyzing breath, a cold breath. Cold. And uh, they, what else can they do? They are dragons of virtue. Silver dragons believe that living a moral life involves doing good deeds and ensuring that one's actions cause no undeserved harm to other sentient beings. They don't mm -hmm. take it upon themselves to root out evil. Um, gold and bronze dragons apparently go looking for trouble. They go looking for evil. Uh, but they gladly oppose creatures that dare to commit evil acts or harm. They are friends of the small races. Um, do... They must step away from their humanoid lives on a regular basis. So yeah, they can shape change back into um, humans. Mm -hmm. uh, they have respect for humanity and a history of hoarding. They like to possess relics of humanoid history. This is piles of coins that they covet, um, as well as art objects, fine jewelry, other treasures, crown jewels of ancient empires, inventions and contraptions, etc. Etc. I should say. I always pronounce. And it I like. Notable dra silver dragons are used in quite a bit of different D and D stuff. So, Falk's Temple Moat, um, grandson of Bahamut, is wow. one in there. Lashona shows up, a vampiric silver dragon. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Brixia. I'm thinking there's definitely one in when you're playing um, uh, Storm King's Thunder. You'll come across a silver dragon in there too. Um, Silvara of the World of Crying. Eberron has their famous silver dragon. I can't even say that name, but maybe it's 
Yosovax. So this is a common, <laughs> this is like silver dragons show up quite a bit of all the dragons, you know, we get a lot of red dragons mm-hmm. show up. Maybe black dragons we could probably talk about. Silvers are definitely ones that show up as some of the good dragons that show up in stuff. Yeah. So this so. feels to me like... Uh, so, yeah, metallic dragons can polymorph into humanoid forms. Humanoid. Um, so they end up being quest Chromatic dragons cannot. So mm-hmm. uh, there could be uh, a lot of... A lot of uh, chromatic or metallic dragons take on their humanoid forms and kind of like intermingle with people. Um, but th- this feels like it's a group patron, you know, like if we're going to yeah. start a game, uh, you're probably going to get a couple of like, Hey, I need you to go do this for me. And it is, it is an adult silver dragon to me. Who's trying to root out evil knows that he can't necessarily go in and just start killing things willy nilly. So it is like, I'm going to hire these adventurers to find like, what's the real, you know, where exactly is this cult worshiping Zagutmoy and how did they get into yeah. my town or something? And so, yeah. Use them to draw out the main villain. Like the, the adventure is there to deal with the, the underlings mm-hmm. and the, and the things that are, are uh, a cause of whatever this great yeah. evil is. But eventually when that thing comes to the dragon has this idea of, okay, that's what it is. That's yeah. what I have to deal with. I like that idea. I like the idea too. If, if you flip it, Right, we're supposed to think of silver dragons as being good, but what happens if one goes bad, or what happens when that dragon is the bad guy of your campaign? How do you make a good guy your bad guy? Right. Well, yeah. There. So there was uh, the Draco Rage in Forgotten Realms mythology uh, mm-hmm. that was a spell tied to a comet. So whenever the comet would go around Tyrell. Um, it would cause all dragons to go into this like mindless rage. And so that could be two that, Hey, uh, this is your patron. This is your friend, but then um, something happens. Uh, And that's just an example. It could be anything like maybe the evil sorceress or the cultist of Zagutmoy implants Mm -hmm. spores into your silver dragon patron. And now it's under their control and you have to make the choice. Do I, do I hurt my friend? Um, that could be How a lot of fun. That's them? like a longer campaign, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So by the time you're, you know, level 12 or 13, all of a sudden my patron's gone. Uh, he left his stuff. That's weird. Usually he takes that with him and he's now mm-hmm. under the control of, uh, I, I just like Zagotmoy. So I'm, I'm going with this mushroom themed yeah. <laughs> monster, but yeah, I like it. One thing that pops into my head that I, th- I like the idea of what about one that's been, that has polymorphed. But now is stuck for some reason. Oh and, yeah. And the adventurers, they're they're trying to get the adventurers to help them because they can't go back to their true form. Something's stopping them. Something's happened. They don't remember what it was, or they don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And you've got a nice, cool building mystery of what's caused this dragon not to be able to transform back into its normal form. Well, and that could be a player character too. Like Yeah. And maybe they don't even know that, but they have yeah. weird magical powers or something and and uh, unrelated to their class. Maybe you chose to be a uh, a rogue, but, you know, all of a sudden you get cold breath or the cold doesn't bother you or something like that. So Yeah. So some interesting way that they're they're stuck in their human or whatever. I, I'm, they could be elven or maybe they want to be a dwarf or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever form they chose. And how do we create a, a campaign adventure that deals with, is there something we can do to help them? Is there yeah. something we can do to, so that could be a really fun thing. Yeah. Um, outside of the box too, just thinking dragons are always, uh, 
I was just rewatching The Hobbit, and I and I still love the scene of the dragon's head rising up out of the horde and oh, talking yeah. to um, Bilbo and moving around, and it's it's slamming through the dwarven kingdom and all the treasure that's there, and the way the waves of the treasure comes rolling down, and I just. I just want that scene in my campaign somewhere Mm -hmm. where my players are scrabbling around fighting, you know, just tidal waves of gold coins and platinum coins Mm -hmm. and stuff is getting moved around. And, you know, I just think that's such cool. You used a a thing that I've always wanted to use too, was like you had like, was it an elemental or it was a creature that was, um, Oh, the, the horde golem. The treasure horde golem. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the treasure itself is animated yeah. and attacks you. And, yeah. yeah. So that idea, and that has a fun mechanic because cool. as it spins around and attacks you, it strips you of your magical items. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, one of my players lost her uh, Rod of the Pact Keeper because it, it took it away from her. There yeah. you go. That's so cool. So something like that I think would be cool, having an iconic scene like that. Having a... A dragon battle uh, in one in one of my campaigns. I had a big dragon, bad, wreaking havoc everywhere, and the players are fighting it, and it looks dire. They're going to lose, and I had a metallic dragon come in and make that fight a stalemate and push it off, and the campaign was able to reset right there and say, "Well, we almost lost everything, but now this dragon came in and helped us. We need to figure out how to deal with this thing now because." We were not prepared. We were we were gonna lose. Yeah. If that did not happen, and that allowed them to start to rearm up and and think of a better plan and find a better place to fight mm-hmm. the dragon and do something different than what they thought they were gonna do. And that was a cool scene as a dungeon master to be able to to go through is a dragon battle happening right in front of the players and and other stuff that's you know in there. And I think yeah. that's kind of fun and cool. Yeah, so, I've always wanted to have a dragon dragons. fight, uh, but an aerial fight like because yeah. uh, i think about you know a dragon's not just gonna sit there and like attack you until it's dead mm-hmm. i mean it's gonna fly away it's gonna use like you can't fly and then it's gonna come down and breathe fire on you and stuff yeah, so breath i've always wanted to have weapon. this like the you know like i don't know they're racing in the sky f- slinging through clouds and, and stuff and like around so, peaks yeah, yeah so so falling off of the dragon or or you know whatever structure you're in is is bad mm-hmm. too so yeah. yeah. Cool. I think there's a lot. I mean, any dragon really is cool. Silver, I I love the idea of a silver dragon. They're good. Um, I like the idea of just being a, a dragonborn. I like to pick the metallics when I, when I go to pick a dragonborn mm-hmm. race too. I just they just appeal to me uh, in some way. I like it. Cool. Or you can maybe start bringing the gem dragons at some point. Yeah. A three a three pronged war could be going on. You have the chromatics are fighting the metallics and the and then all of a sudden the gem dragons come in and maybe they're fighting everybody or maybe you tweak it enough that it's not just chromatics are evil, uh, metallics aren't. Maybe there's a much more deeper thing going on in there. Maybe they have a much more deeper society and we just happen to be caught up in their politics of what's going on. That can mm-hmm. be a really fun, cool thing too. In yeah. my Revenar campaign, there are three dragons that keep a population hostage in the valley they can't leave every time they try to leave this valley one of the three dragons destroys them and so the campaign has revolved around how do we get out of this valley controlled by these three big dragons that won't let anybody leave they use them as their feeding kind of pit almost Mm. so they want them to stay they want them to prosper they want them to 
the the like to expand, <laughs> but no further than the than the, the valley. So that's cool. It was an interesting storyline. So we would be interested to hear how you would use silver dragons in your campaigns. How yeah. you might um, use it outside the box. Maybe ours was a little bit too in the box. Maybe those are a little bit too normal types of ideas. Maybe you guys can come up with some crazier ideas. I don't know. Maybe the silver dragon's a metallic machine. Maybe it's like a Voltron or something. You know, Ooh. maybe maybe you go really crazy. It's a it's not that? a dragon. It's an airship that nobody knows. It's an airship or something. You know, it just looks like a silver dragon flying in the sky. What was that '80s space cartoon that I'm thinking of? Lots of them, yeah. <laughs> which, <laughs> that had like one, a Silverhawks. That's what silver I'm thinking. Of. I don't know why. Yeah, that popped into my head, but yeah, '80s cartoon. The Silver Dragon, that's why. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we occasionally play games. Uh, we played a... We did the finale of Monster of the Week. Yeah, we Me and Lucian played this Friday or Wednesday uh, with wonderful, fantastic uh, player Jordan and the DM, uh, LB right. Hackmuff. Some no-name but, person. Uh, right? No, she's fantastic. It was a lot of fun. What were your uh, Monster of the Week thoughts? Yeah. Often co-host of this show. The uh, <laughs> the third mystery co-host that appears every once in a while. Yeah. Um, Although if the fans cool. had it their way, they would want LB on every week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It would be her show. Yeah. It wouldn't even be us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it was fun to play in a new system. It, the characters were absolutely a blast. They were so um, much fun. I have so much headcanon going on that didn't happen in any of the sessions. But in my mind, when I got done in the session or I was thinking about the next day or whatever, I was thinking, oh, it would be cool if there was this scene that had this. And like, I could write a TV show or you know, a, a screenplay on that whole game, which I yeah. thought made it super fun and super memorable. Um, I just love the character act interactions. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of the mundane meeting the weird, um, the bombastic... You know, meeting the quiet, the just this idea of um, a town hit by something supernatural, you know, something that's not explainable yeah. or something that I just love that whole combination of things. Mm-hmm. It was like peanut butter and chocolate is what it felt like to yeah. me. It was just this kind of thing that goes together perfectly. You don't even have to worry yeah. about it. It's, it's um, a, a game that really lends itself to role playing because part of the character creation is building like a trope or something. And yep. uh, it's weird. I feel saying this because I played so many games, but I think this is like the most amount of role playing I've done in in yes. a game. Very narrative. It, because we are making like narrative choices, and part of the game is like those dumb jokes of like, eh, yeah, like I feel like my character would abuse his relationship with Peter to have like yeah. him cook him dinner every night, or like yeah. I'll shower in your house or something or so, you know? And yeah. so yeah. we had a lot of those yeah. fun moments or like so. the little, the one-off side thing where the, the improv group is fighting yeah. with the regular theater group, which, you know, had nothing to do with any part yeah. of the storyline, but it's just a funny piece. The Amazon driver who knows everybody, mm-hmm. the, the, the dryad family that runs the, the, the local drive-in theater. Mm-hmm. You know, where people come. And then the the crazy, prophetic, divine character that is sure they're there to protect some bad prophecy from happening. To yeah. save some person that needs to be saved. But is really a quirky character on their own. Mm-hmm. Like, just, just fully, you know, it was just really fun to go through that kind of, um, that the different vibes that were there. So I thought that was fun. It was very light on rolling. 
Um, yeah. So there wasn't a lot of mechanics we were running into. It was a lot of storytelling. It was a lot of describing what you're doing. We were in character more than I've ever been in. Like if you watch the Tuesday night game and I'm playing Dungeon of the Mad Mage, I'm pretty much, it's a battle simulator at this point. It's not, yeah. <laughs> there's a few things there I do that's kind of narratively cool with my 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 Aarakocra con. Um, and we make jokes about his name all the time. Make a con save. It's con, you know. There's all that kind of stuff that happens. But this other, the Mo- Monster of the Week one was a lot more being in character and a lot more thinking about what they would say or how they would say it or how they would answer something. Um, that was There was a lot more to that. So that was interesting. It was fun. I would be interested to see more of the um, mechanics in in more settings, you know, just to see how more of the roles or more of the powers. I love the name of the powers. One thing that stood out to me when I was looking at my character sheet was the name of the powers. Like, you know, the power of heart was one of the moves I could do or oops was one of the other Mm -hmm. moves I could do where I could stumble onto something. I think I'm trying to remember the other two, but they caught me. They were they were gripping in the way they explained themselves. And you said, okay, you could do this move to do something. Yeah. And I did, I really liked that. I think you had some cool ones too on your character. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, yeah, no, I did. Uh, I'm trying to remember any of them. A lot of them were like attack based. Cause I was kind mm-hmm. of like trying to, but yeah, the banishment was one, you know, where it's like, yeah. I'm going to get rid of that. Um, after the stream ended, you actually had to bounce pretty quick, but yeah. like, uh, uh, the three of us sat there. Oh, and Savvy couldn't make it, which was kind of sad for the, finale, Oh yeah, we but, did. We missed, but it was very sad. We, we missed her very much. Um, <laughs> but things happen. Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, the three of us were chatting about the system and we mm-hmm. got into a topic of like, how do I roll investigation? How do I roll perception? And the game doesn't really have that. Um, so it was not a conversation. It's going to sound like I'm saying, well, it's a bad game because it doesn't have rules on how you do that, uh, Mm -hmm. which is not what I'm trying to say at all. It is not a bad game, but how we as D and D players get stuck in a certain way of thinking like, well, I play D and D D is an RPG. I roll in that game to see what I find. And the DM tells me that. Right. And so we were talking like, how do you change your mindset to say, Uh, as both a dungeon master or as a game master and a player to like with the tools that this game is using, what, Mm -hmm. how do I change my objective? And uh, I got into a really interesting conversation with LB and Val about this because uh, I just ran this kids on brooms game Mm -hmm. and we had the same thing where a lot of my players were like, well, what do I roll to see? And and here's an example. They were in the library. Well, yeah, they were in the library and they're like, what do I roll to see if I find anything? And I was like, we need to have a different objective. So your objective is not how do I roll to find a book? It's, you know, the book is in there. Like, I'm telling you this. Tell you me can how you find, find it, but the <laughs> obstacle is going to be the librarian doesn't want you to find it. She doesn't want you in there causing problems. And so they were like, oh, yeah. and they ended up casting spells and doing all this other stuff. And they found the book and and a lot of them were kind of surprised because they're just like, oh, so we just we we get it. And I'm like, yeah, because the objective was getting past the lady or you're you're the librarian, not necessarily like finding the book. And then when I was telling that to LB and Val, we were talking about like, man, D&D could learn from these games because Mm -hmm. that's so boring where you're like, I don't know, roll perception for. Yeah, you don't see anything like yeah, we could we should use perception in a, a more interesting in way. Room? Yeah, 
So, uh, I don't know. And in older D&D, the DM would roll for your perception, so you wouldn't know that you rolled a four. And that yeah. that even feels more interesting to me than, yeah. And I guess that's where passive perception is. I feel like there's a gauge, too, that says on on this side is story, this side is game. Yeah. And all of these fit somewhere in there yeah. going back and forth. And maybe, maybe D&D is more game, but Monster of the Week was more story. Yeah, yeah. So it was like this. And it's this however you want to play in a way. But yeah. but I think it's important for players to understand that it's like, oh, my objective needs to shift here. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times my objective is roll high. And it's like, mm, no, your objective needs to be how do I get past this? And then we'll talk through that. And I like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Much like it's kids on like bikes about and masks. stuff. So. Yeah. Um, and some of these games that are a little bit more narrative too, like you're talking about um, kids on brooms, mm-hmm. uh, kids on bikes. I'm talking about Mass, A New Generation, or Tales from the Loop, those style games, Monster of the Week. I think with those style of games, there's also um, this idea that there's going to be relationship scenes. Yeah. And I don't mean romantic in any way. I just mean you're building on ties to characters more than you ever delve into that in, in Dungeons & Dragons. There's there's a specific thing you're doing and you're introducing conflict between between um, um, binds, right? Yeah. And how that adds to the story too. So when I'm running a mass game and I only bring it up because that system is the apocalypse system. You have moves, you have, it's the same thing as monster of the week. It's just superheroes. The idea is you're, you're leaning towards, it's not a game about punching villains as much as it is a game about the relationship of, teenage superheroes trying to figure out their place in the world in a world that has villains and they have superpowers that's like secondary so i think in some ways monster of the week is that way yes it's about fighting the monster of the week but the game really is about the interaction of the characters more than that and and learning about how they interact with each other and how they interact with all the people around them so i think you got to go into that with a little bit different mindset and you you got to make sure your players know that's what you're going yeah. into too. And I think you can have a really successful game that way. Yeah. These, the only other thing I thought about this, and I don't know if you agree, maybe you don't. Um, this system felt great for one shots and very short campaigns. I didn't get a big feeling of, we could play this same campaign for two years using this system that, you know, you wouldn't, keep those characters for that long. There's not that much progression that can happen. I, Although you yeah. can grab I stuff. I super from disagree. Playbooks. I think, okay. Yeah. I think you could definitely play this. The, the XP system. So at the end of the game, you, you would, yeah. you see, what did we accomplish this episode? And then yeah. you get experience points to unlock more moves and level up. Um, so there mechanically, there's a way to level up and, and a lot of games like kids on brooms, kids on bikes, it doesn't have that. Failure but, levels, but levels there's a up. there's a way there's a there's a mechanic to actually level up, um, so that I think allows you to play longer sessions. But also, um, monster of the week, like if we're in, in that game that we played that LB ran, if we mm-hmm. are trying to figure out the mystery that is the lake monster, um, there's got to be the evil CEO overlord who put that paper mill there specifically to cause spirits to be at unrest. And then we get mm-hmm. more links back to that person. And yeah. so if you want to play a Hellboy kind of game where we're part of a secret society that is out to stop evil, 
yes, every episode is going to have these like, okay, we have to protect the town from the lake monster or from space vampires or from whatever else. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. the overarching story is who's bringing those about. And then just as you said, those relationships, which is really the whole point of the game is uh, you're giving more time for those to blossom and have things. And so I I don't know. I, I could see myself playing a much longer game. Uh, uh, session wise, not, not because, but you know, you're not, you're not, a uh, killing the monster and getting cool loot. So if that's not what you want, because some people want, they want money and loot for their games kind of a thing. This one, you're saying, oh, wasn't it cool when, you know, remember our beach episode or remember the time (laughs) that like Sally and Jim got married? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Cause you're not looking ahead to try to, plan out your character exactly no yeah you're not built you, you yeah. it's not in that style like you're thinking about oh man when i get to level 10 i gotta pick three mm. level five or you know spells and what am i going to do to to do that you're not planning that arc out mm. as much i don't feel like but yeah i do see the idea of your story arc especially like if you look at any tv show where it's like yeah. supernatural or something where you have a bunch of episodes that seem unrelated only to find out they've been related the whole time yeah. and you just didn't know it. And that's the big place where you're going. So that makes total sense to me when you say And if that. I was running uh, a Monster yeah. of the Week game longer, that's cool. I would even I would even push more into the TV aspect and say yeah. and say our like the show begins and you see a man sitting behind a computer, but you can't see his face, but he's actively doing something. And when he hits the final piece of code, um, all of the lights in the town shut off and an electrical monster jumps up and runs out flash Mm -hmm. to you guys are waking up in a power outage. And so the players know that there's something going on, but your characters don't. And I think that's fun. So I I can definitely see myself in the, in the mass game, which is a superhero one. That's exactly how they tell you to run it. Kind of like set up the first panel Mm -hmm. and describe it as you've opened the comic book and you're reading the first panel and you're reading the balloons and you go through it, you do your setup. And then it's like, you flash to the characters. What are you guys doing when you finally get it? And then you have your ending panel that sets up what's going to happen to the next. And you really reference that you, you reference the, the panels and the thought bubbles and the, Mm. and the craziness that you get from a comic book in the game that you're portraying. Mm. So I like that idea that you're saying lean into that TV show. Like if if I was going to run a monster, you just said it when you, when you said that, I was like, if I'm going to run a monster of the week game, I want it to be the premise is you guys are a reality TV show crew that goes around like a super paranormal investigator. Oh, ghost hunters? One hundred percent. Yes. And that's the that's I would the play that game. <laughs> and we're and then, filming yeah. each other doing we're this filming. and stuff. Yeah. So you're and like, I'm the mundane camera break. operator guy. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like we've got fourth our psychic breaking, like, yeah. all that stuff. It'd be really because they did that in Supernatural. There's a there's a stretch so in fun. that where they, they bring in a, a reality TV crew for them, and they're like, you guys, these characters, you really play them really well. And they're like, characters, we're real people. What are you yeah. talking about? And they don't realize <laughs> that there's a whole community that there was a book written about all their adventures, and they think they're not real. Oh. But it's a popular book series, and then people start finding out. And it was a cool way they took that whole story. I was like, oh, I'd do that in Monster of the Week. Yeah. That's super fun. Really fun. 
that was awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming out and watching us live here on the YouTubes. Uh, thank you again. So uh, Nathan became a member. Uh, hey, Table1SG is also a member. Member Members on YouTube are like uh, subscribing on Twitch. Just a little monthly contribution that helps us keep the lights on over here. Uh, at mm-hmm. our show. Um, and you get cool... Uh, I, uh, well, now that I think we have multiple um, people, I can design some more emojis, which is fun. So let me know Emoj. in our Discord chat what kind of emojis you want, and I'll add them to the YouTubes. That'll be fun. Um, fighting dice. Fighting, fighting dice. dice. Oh, I do have that one. I gotta go. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I gotta get that one going. Um, but yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, we will be back next week for the end of February. Uh, with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Anything else before we need to take off, sir? No. Hey, go to those comments and tell us what you think about and how you run your campaigns. Go out to the podcast sites and do some reviews out there, too, so other people see our podcasts and come and join us. Yeah, 100%. We appreciate you very much. Take care, stay warm, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.